Well, if you want to open up your programs this uh, evening, and uh, how many of you need a program, by the way? Anybody need one of these programs? Everybody got one? That's awesome. They're in the, there's some more in the back. Lots of seats up here, gentlemen. Come on in. I won't start preaching until you come and find a seat. Elliot, there's a seat right here with your name on it. Right there, man. It's right there. Right in the, right in the artillery zone, you know. I do not provide towels with my showers, but come on up. It'd be great to have you. It's excellent. It's great, gentlemen. Appreciate that. Good night, Elliot. What are they feeding you, man? It's great. <laughs> Pizza. Well, that's how that works. Okay. You know, there, there's a passage in the Old Testament scripture about the sons of Issachar. And many years ago, <clears throat> back 2017, when I read that passage, I got convicted that I really needed to do a little bit better job in recognizing the need that was pressing in upon the church in regards to what the church really needs to be built up with because of the press of the culture. In our first year, we decided that the, the first law of momentum had to be the law of positive not as the world says it, but positive as God says it. In the scriptures, it says that we need to encourage one another and spur one another on towards love and good deeds and all the more as we see the day of our Lord's return drawing near. And so we made it a commitment that everything we would preach had to be focused on encouraging and building the saints so that they would be strengthened. You know, criticism kills, but praise pays. And to find each individual's skill set, talent, gift, ability, giftedness. And to encourage them in that. And, and when they would step out in faith to try to try something new to encourage them. Even if it didn't turn out like you know everybody was hoping it would. They were willing to step in the fight and, and strive to make it work. And so we worked at building the positive. And then the following year, it became evident to me that anybody can put on a good show. Cosmetic Christianity, or churchianity, as I came to call it back in 2019. But you know, the, the scripture in 1 Timothy says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And if you think about that, if your faith is insincere, your conscience is not clean, and your love cannot be pure. And so we worked on what the word genuine, sincere, real faith is. And so it has not a whole lot to do with what we have perceived as being the performance level of individuals but rather their, their faithfulness to the relationship of Christ Jesus. Now you ladies in the audience probably recognize what a faithful man is. And many of you men should know what a faithful woman is. Someone who's devoted to laying down their lives in sacrificial service for you. And when both understand that and are willing to lay their lives down faithfully, genuinely, sincerely, with no strings attached, 
the relationship is amazing. So it's important for us to recognize that if we're really going to excel, that we need to have a genuine faith. And so we worked all year on the sincere faith, the good conscience, and pure love. But rather interesting, in, in the year 2020, I decided to do the theme, the third spiritual law of momentum, and I had decided this in October of 2019. I decided it would be the, the power of presence, God's presence. And as I was doing my study, in the Old Testament where it says the presence of God, that word literally means face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. That's what it means. You can go back and look it up. And guess what happened in 2020? I love this one. I got another one that's pretty cool, too. In 2020... They had us mask up. I lost my voice. No, I switched your voice on. Okay, good. They, they made us mask up. Here I am preaching the power of presence face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and they, they take half of our face away. Tell you what, that isn't a satanic, just nastiness. I don't know what is. How many of you love these things? How many want to burn all of them? Yeah, amen, man. Burn them. And so it's really important for us to recognize and understand that God wants us to be face to face with Him. But God wants something more from His people. He wants to be face to face with every single human being you come in contact with. So when you come in contact face to face with God and you see his glory in the pages of the New Testament and you're transformed in the same image of glory, there is a difference in you that is unlike any other human being. People see freedom in Christ Jesus. They can feel it, they can hear it, they can see it. And the scripture says that we have an aroma. In 2 Corinthians, an aroma from life to life, death to death. The stench of death is not our stench, it's their stench. They're just smelling themselves in comparison to our great aroma of Christ. Face to face. You know, your presence in someone's life can be transformational, and you don't even need to lift the book and start counting. You don't even need to open a page. In fact, if you've got to do that to get them to notice that you're a Christian, you're doing something wrong. You see, the power of God's presence in your life and your presence in other people's lives is transformational. Now, last year we decided, and this again was before the, the, uh, the uh, communist crybabies started their little dancing in the streets, I decided several months before that we were going to do the power of perseverance. Now, it's not like I have any, you know, knowing what's going to go in the future. It's just that I perceive that we need to be prepared to endure no matter what. It says in the Old Testament that there were sons of Issachar, that they understood the times, that, that, that they knew what Israel should do. And was last year a year where a lot of folks were tested? A few are from Oregon. 
the fires that turned the world red. Gavin, everybody having to stay inside, not because of COVID, because of the smoke. And then having all that, some of those fires were started by people that wanted to burn the state down. And then our cities were being burned down. We needed to be people that were persevering, looking beyond what was happening with a faith that looks beyond the, the seas and sees the calm of the constancy of Christ. So we come to this year. We come to this year. Man, what an election we had. Who? The crowds that came out to see Joe Biden speak. I mean, it was unbreathtaking. I won by a landslide. Wow, it's amazing. And things have changed a lot since China go, China Joe, I mean Joe Biden got into office. Amazing things. Things I never thought I would see in my lifetime. I thought maybe my sons would see him. So is it a good thing to think about maybe we should Learn to trust God in everything. You know, that election in, in, in 2020 didn't shock God. <gasps> he won. How'd that happen? It didn't. wasn't surprised. We need to recognize and understand, brethren, that we as a people need to trust God for he is the one that is sovereign. He is the one that has all dominion. Do you know what sovereign means? He has authority over all, everything, and the right to rule. There's nothing that happens that he does not know about nor allows to happen unless he allows it to happen. If you live a faithful life, you know when you're going to die? You're going to die when God so designed by the means by which God chose, and not any other way. So we need to recognize that whatever the future holds, if we stay the course and we remain faithful, there is no fear of man. Perplexed, maybe. What are, what's the, the passages of Scripture that we have for this year? Let's take a look at those before we go any further. This year's theme, The Power of Trust, I was inspired as I was looking through the Old Testament, looking up all the passages on trust, and I came across Jeremiah chapter 17, and I said, okay, this is one of the anchor verses for this year. The Old Testament anchor verse by which we are going to build from the foundation, one of the cornerstone verses. Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning in verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he'll be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes. But he will live in stony washes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitants. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. 
but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield its fruit. I really encourage you to go and take a look at trust in God and how a man, a woman can be resilient and vibrant to their last breath if they focus on God knowing that he is sovereign and has all dominion over everyone and everything. If you don't understand the word sovereign, you're going to have a hard time trusting God. If you don't understand what the word dominion means, you're going to have a hard time trusting God. Recognize that nothing happens unless God allows it. Is there a day in the future that God knows about when he's going to come again? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Absolutely. And he knows every day before that. And he knows this day. He knew you'd be here. But it was your choice. Brother, it's so important for us to recognize then that you have a choice. You're either going to trust self or something else or you're going to trust God. You know what worry is a symptom of? What's worry a symptom of? Not trusting God. Can you be concerned and is being concerned different than worry? Oh yeah. We should be deeply concerned about the souls of men. We should be deeply concerned about our family, our kids. We should be deeply concerned about our relationship with our spouses. We should be deeply concerned about our faithfulness and love, not only for God, but for each other, especially in this time. But worry, worry is a symptom of not trusting the sovereignty of God. Jesus speaks about that in so many different places, but... I want to turn to the passage that is the New Testament cornerstone anchor verse for this year. And that's 2 Corinthians in chapter 2. Powerful passage speaking regarding the Apostle Paul and his ministry. You know, chapter 3, 4, and 5 is a tremendous passage on uh, new creation principles, the, the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of reconciliation. But in chapter 2, notice what the Apostle Paul says in verses 8 through 11. Re read that with me if you wouldn't mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the senses of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us, and you also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of the many. I have not yet experienced what Paul is talking about here. And I don't think any of you have either. Notice it says here, he says in this passage of scripture in verse 8, he says, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. 
Indeed, we have the senses of death within ourselves. Now he's talking about standing for the faith and the persecution that came because he stood for the faith unashamed, unwilling to keep his mouth shut, but would continue to press forward, even in prison, to preach to every ear that would hear. Now some of you know I uh, had a pretty scary rollover accident at the end of 2019 and then, or in 2020, and then I had got COVID this last year and I was in the hospital. Man, it's scary when the doctor comes in and says, hey man, looks like you need to be uh, intubated. What's that mean? You know, the ventilator thing, you stick the tubes down your throat, and up, no. I'll tell you what, if that's how it's gonna be, just give me a ticket home. I'll die with my family. That's what I told the doctor. Of course, they wouldn't let me go because they're going to make money if I die in the hospital. So that was kind of interesting. I was going to call Brian Bragg to break me out. He's a police officer down in Springfield, and that's the hospital I was in. I was kind of conniving. You know, that isn't even close to what Paul was experiencing. And yet, if we turn a little bit further, look at 2 Corinthians, would you? 2 Corinthians and chapter, chapter uh, uh, 4. Notice what he says here in verse 7. He says, you know, we have this treasure, this treasure, this amazing treasure of God's glory in earthen vessels, our bodies, so that the surpassing greatness of God, our surpassing power will be of God and not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, killed, literally, but not destroyed. Always carrying about the body the dying of Jesus. Why? We've already been crucified with him. Our life has been given up in service to Christ. Why? Do we carry around the dying of the body of Jesus? So the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. You know, that comes back with that presence. Who do people see when they see you? Who do people hear when they hear you? They hear somebody whining about their job. They hear somebody whining about their wife. They hear somebody whining about their truck not running. They hear somebody, what do they hear? What do they see in you? Well, they hear somebody that's deeply concerned about their soul, deeply concerned about what they're concerned about. Is that who they see? Is that who they hear? Is that who they experience? That's who they should, because that's what Jesus was. Can I get an amen on that one? What about Zacchaeus, richest man around? He desperately wanted to see Jesus because he knew Jesus had something that he didn't have. What did Jesus do? Throngs of people. He could have picked anybody. But here's a guy that had everything in the world, but he had nothing and he knew it. He wanted to see Jesus. So Jesus took the time and said, hey, let's do lunch. It says that that boy down, that man went down to his house justified. The one so important for us to understand that this trusting in God, no matter how crazy life gets, is the key to standing above and beyond as a pillar that people will reach out to because you are a man of integrity, a woman of virtue, unshakable. So let's turn in our little booklets here to the front page. I wrote that here several months ago. I want to read it to you, and I just want to 
just kind of highlight a few things as I conclude my lesson tonight, but I want you to get the whole picture of why we're doing what we're doing here this week. And it can't be just this week, brethren. If you learn to trust God just this week, and then you don't carry it through the rest of your life, this honestly, I don't mean to be cruel when I say this, it's a waste. It's a waste of time. Take what you learn and, and own it, grow it, and live it. Take a look. What does it say here? It never ceases to amaze me, the awesome provision uh, and the power we have been given in Christ. And then I talk about how in the last four or five years, the things that we as a body of Christ fellowship have decided to do has really been very critically important for that very year and the years to come. But look at the last section. The fifth law of momentum, the power of trust, the power of trusting God and entrusting our lives to Jesus Christ builds unshakable confidence, courage, character, and community, which gives us strength to face whatever the future may hold. If you trust, as you're going to learn what trust is this weekend, if you trust, you will become a part of the unshakable kingdom. There is no promise in the scriptures that the United States is going to remain a sovereign nation. There is nothing in the scriptures that says that. And yet we cling to that which is going to pass away at some point in time. Why do we cling to that? Because we don't like change? Because we want what we've always had? <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I want to be like Abraham. I'm looking for a city whose builder and architect is God. How about you? A city that will never shake out, that no one can ever burn, that there's not going to be any crybabies there. Amen? That's the city I want. Now, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to help gain a little extra time to win a few extra souls by doing some things here to make that happen. But the reality is I'm not living for here. And I know that everybody's going to go either to an eternal rest or an eternal lake of fire. And so I work for those souls. What Jesus do when he came? 33 years of hard labor working for your soul. Brethren, it's important for us to recognize that when it says trusting God and entrusting ourselves to God means that you're all in. If Jesus says it, and it doesn't fit with what you believe to be true, then you need to change what you believe to be true. How many have heard the statement before? And some of you uh, may go, I've heard that before. Well, if you're around Pleasant Hill, you've heard it a lot. He who waters others waters himself. Is that principle true? Yes or no? He who waters others waters himself. Jesus actually said it differently. By the standard of which you measure, it will be measured unto you. 
I love the passage of scripture he's talking about there. He says, it's going to be filled, shaken, stamped down, overflowing by the measure that you sacrifice yourself in giving to serve others, so it will come back to you. I'm not talking a Joel Holstein kind of garbage sermon. I'm talking about you lay your life down for people and they recognize it's the real deal. It's the real Jesus living and working in you. And you know what? When you have a need, there are people there for you. The people of God. That's how that works. Do you believe Jesus? How many believe Jesus? How many trust Jesus? All right. Who's the greatest among us? Who's the greatest among us? Man, you know this one. Come on. Who's the greatest among us? The servant of all. The, the one who serves all. That's the greatest among us. The one who sacrificed most. That's the greatest among us. He who waters others is not losing anything. He's gaining eternity. Remember what Peter said? Hey man, we left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? That's exactly what he said. Go back to the book of Matthew. A rich young ruler comes up and says, hey, Jesus, good teacher. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he you know, shares all those. I did all those. There's one thing you lack. Tell all you possess, give to the poor, and come follow me. If Jesus said that to you, what would you say? Sell all that I have? You really hit me off. What if Jesus actually said that to you? I mean, he said it to that young man, didn't he? Yes or no? If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't trust him, he didn't say that, and you, well, go your way. But he said that, and that young man had a choice. If he would have given up everything to follow Jesus, would he have lost anything? Or would he have gained? Tell me. Would he have lost anything or would he have gained? He would have gained. Jesus promised, look, you give up everything to follow me and you will have houses and farms and moms and dads and brothers and sisters. You're like, I got enough brothers and sisters. <laughs> no, but these are the good ones. I got to share with you that when I made that decision, I didn't lose anything. I gained everything. I was talking with a good brother who's desiring to go full-time unencumbered. Tars desires to serve the Lord and not have to make tents. Man, wouldn't that be great? Somebody cut loose to just charge into the fray. Oh, Lord, that'd be awesome. I'm excited for him. He's been making tents for 24 years and making disciples for 24 years. And the churches, many churches, have been richly blessed by those who have been brought to Christ. Many years ago, I had that same choice. I was making super good money in a public school. And I was having an impact on the young people. Brian Bragg is a Christian today because he is one of my students. And, and so you, know, you can be a Christian anywhere, even if the government says you can't preach, you can still live the life of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
I'll tell you what, that's the best way to do it. It's where they say you can't bring your Bible. I don't need my Bible, man. I'm just going to live the life of Christ and the kids come. There's several people here who are in Christ because of that. But you know what? I gave up a lot of money and life insurance and all sorts of insurance and a big retirement. And I remember Steve Doty goes, remember what you said? Yeah. This is Steve Doty. Ready? See this later. Man, that's pretty gutsy. Does that do okay? Does that do okay? That was pretty close. I, don't, I, did, I shaved this morning. That's why it's not a little wheat sauce. But, uh, and you know what? It, it, the craziest thing is that I didn't lose anything. That's some pretty rocky times, you know. It wasn't about the money. It was about bringing souls to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A dear brother right here... Man, I'm telling you what, what a man of God. I trust him with my life. And if I wouldn't have gone and left all of that and made a commitment to go full time, we wouldn't have been able to have the relationship that took a while to establish, but I wouldn't have a brother that I know he's got my six every single time, like a whole bunch of brothers and sisters in here. But it was because I was stepping out. I trusted what God said. And time with my sons, time with my son's Bible studying, time with my wife, time working in the Christian school with lots of young people. All of that was granted to me. What a huge blessing. Didn't lose anything. I gained lots of kids, lots of sons and daughters, lots of moms and dads. Didn't lose anything. I gained more than a hundredfold. You say, why are you talking about yourself? I am not someone who's looking to have some big marquee or whatever. I just want people in heaven. I want people in heaven. I don't know what I'm doing as a preacher. I just look at what Paul did. I look at what Jesus did. I look at what Timothy did. That's all I'm doing. That's all you need to do, brethren. That's all you need to do. And trust that he is going to build in you a life that's going to change other lives. The power of trusting God and entrusting our lives to him is going to build an unshakable confidence. I shared this with Davis here a couple years ago. You know, when things started to get really crazy in 2020, and I was like, this has never happened before. And it gets crazier. This is unprecedented in many ways because it's worldwide. And it continues to go, hey, that's a new one. And anymore, I don't, I'm not surprised at anything. But I'm not concerned. Can I be straight up honest with you? There are big FEMA camps over on the coast. I don't know why they're there. But they're ready.
I want to be ready. You know a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? How many know Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Powerful man of faith. Don't know if he was in Christ or not, but he believed in the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He believed in the authority of God's word and he trusted it and he continued to preach until Germany took his life. But to the last day, by the Spirit of God, that's what I'm going to do. You're saying, well, I know a lot of people say that. I'm preparing now. I'm preparing now. How do you do that? How do you prepare to trust God in that crazy, crazy kind of environment? How do you do that? How many get up in the morning early or stay up late at night and spend at least an hour listening to the word of God? How many of you do that? Don't raise your hand. I'm asking you. If you're not doing that, you're not being prepared. This is what gives you the picture, the true picture of who you are in Christ Jesus. If you don't know this, you're going to get shook out. What they do to Jeremiah? They just love Jeremiah. Yeah, you're preaching the word. I love it. You're telling us what we need to hear. Just, you're the greatest guy. We're going to, no, that's not what they do. What they do? Beat him up. Throw him in a pit. Wow. Because he preached the truth. What they do to the Apostle Paul? They invited him to the best banquets. They did right. That's what they did. No. They stoned him and leave him for death. Notice, why were those written? Those things actually happened. They're a picture for us that we can understand, that we can power through, and we can change the lives of others if we do. Can I ask you a question? Did Jesus Christ trust his Father perfectly? Yes or no? That was kind of weak sauce, but I'll take it. I know you're all tired. It's a Friday night. Okay? And Jesus Christ says, you know, not my will, but thine be done. And if you go back and look at the Psalms, man, it was crushing on him. The Psalms is speaking the voice of Christ on what he went through so oftentimes throughout his life and at the very end. You know, the, I think one of the greatest pictures of who we are in Christ is when he's walking up that hill, bearing that cross, having been beat beat mercilessly to the point of death, and yet he was willing and willed to get to the cross. And notice, we always talk about the horrible pain. Whose pain was he really concerned about? Whose pain was he really concerned about, brethren? His own? No. Those ladies that were crying, he says, you don't even know what's coming. 70 AD is coming. Man, don't wait for me. Wait for yourself. And he gets to the cross, and they nail him on the cross. The guys who had put them there, he says, Father, forgive them, because I know what's going to happen if you don't. They're going to burn forever in the lake of fire, and I'm dying for them. I created them, and I'm dying for them. I own them by right of creation, and I'm dying for them, but I might own them by right of what? Of reconciliation. Forgive them. People were mailing him to the cross, beckoning him to come down if he's king. 
And then those who actually perpetrated the crucifixion, they, they knew what they were doing out of jealousy and hatred. He said, please forgive them as well. And then the thieves that were yelling at him, and that guy was concerned about their pain and well, the pain that was going to come in their lives. Are you concerned about other people's pain? Because if you're not now, you won't be when the big hurt's on you. You'll be focused on your pain and not on theirs. You need to be training now. Training now. Get the picture now. Trust what you read now. Did the Apostle Paul make it through that Philippian jail and was able to convert the jailer and his family? Yes or no? Did that really happen? That really happened. Are you ready for a jail that has no indoor plumbing? That's literally a cesspool that you're chained in? Get your olfactories fired up for a second, brethren. The inner dungeon, no indoor plumbing. Chain. What do your olfactories tell you? Your eyes are burning. Why? You ever been in an outhouse before? It's hot. Your eyes are burning. And that's where he was. And what's he doing? Is he thinking about his pain or the pain of all those who if they don't know, they don't see, they don't hear the gospel, they're going to a Christless hell. Whose pain was he concerned about? Tell me. Man, that jailer comes in, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Obviously, they he realized this guy's got something that I need. Who was really in prison in that Philippian jail? Paul and Silas? No. That jailer was. But that night, that jailer was set free. Because Paul did not focus on his pain. He focused on the eternal suffering that people would experience if he did not live the life. He trusted God. He looked at Jesus' example. That is the standard. I will live by that standard. The question is, is will you? Turn with me to 1 Peter in chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Some of you know where I'm going. That's great. One of my favorite passages in the scripture. Does anybody know, by the way, uh, Mike Harbour's favorite Bible verse? Talk to me afterwards if you do. I would really like to know. This is one of mine. If ever there's an opportunity, and I don't know, there may not be the way things are going, but if there's ever an opportunity, if there's a memorial, please someone say, hey, Bill's, one of Bill's favorites was 1 Peter <laughs> chapter 2. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 2 and uh, verse 23, 24, and 25. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. 
He entrusted himself to the Father. He knew that he needed to go to that cross and there was nothing that was going to stop him because he trusted that that was the plan. If God's plan in the future for me is suffering, I will do that joyfully knowing that if I do that like Jesus did it, like Stephen did it, like the Apostle Paul did it, like Timothy did it, like Silas did it, that people will see that you can power through being concerned about others more than yourself. Because Jesus said, he who waters others will water himself. The resurrection will be assured of the life. So Jesus says. Do you trust God as much as Jesus trusted his father? Are you willing to go and suffer for going? Brethren, did you know that the word faith is defined by three very important concepts and the word belief is defined by three very important concepts? The word faith, pistis in the Greek, is defined by being persuaded so much so that you are assured of something to be true. So much so that you're willing to rely upon that as your standard of life. You move from being persuaded out of a mess into a life of faithful service, reliance upon the truth. You know, the word belief, pitho, has three very important concepts, just like faith. The first one is to be convicted of truth. The second one is, are you ready? Trust. You trust what is true. And the third is that you are willing to obey the truth. You know, brethren, there's so much in this book that we don't know. We're studying, we're studying, we're studying. But we got to get it dialed in. I think we have some time left. Not a lot. But I think we have some time left. How are you going to invest your time? My study through the book of Isaiah in the last couple months has been profound. I read the scriptures through consistently. But this last time, I read it as if my life depended on understanding it and applying it. And it does. I never read it that way before. I'm reading that way now. I'm working through Jeremiah. I've been in it for a few months and every single chapter blows me away. The power of that man's conviction because of his trust in God. He was called one of the major prophets and I know why, as was Isaiah. That man did not care what happened to him. He cared about pleasing God and doing his will and speaking only his word without compromise, no matter what happened to him, because he knew that Israel's future depended on him standing his ground and preaching the truth. Brethren, it's, it's not just me. It's, it's not just Steve. It's, it's not just Matt. It's not just Brian. It's not just Kirk. It's every one of us. Every one of us. 
Do you think I just started this evening by saying it's so blessed to have servants like Ken and Pam in the church? Do you think I just started because I wanted them to make them feel good? Or did I do that because they are as valuable as I am in this great work? If you don't believe that, you haven't been taught right. The greatest among us will be the servant of all. Brethren, we need to recognize that each one of us needs to trust God explicitly. Embrace his word and live it. So that when the crush comes, we can't be crushed. Perplexed but not despairing. And the one that I have not experienced, but a might, struck down but not forsaken. Don't know what the future holds. But I know that no matter what happens, if I stay the course and remain faithful, that I'll enter in and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because I believe what the scriptures say, and I'm going to live it. We all need to believe what the scripture says and embrace it. Our life depends on it. Let me close with this. Everyone else's life around you depends on it as well. Who you are and how you live your life is not just about you getting to heaven. It's about you manifesting Christ so others are drawn. Do you really trust him? I pray you'll listen to all the lessons. I've asked each of these men to step up and speak in regards to don't trust the world. Don't trust the things in the world. But fix your eyes on things above. Fix your eyes on the things that are unseen with the, the physical eye, but seen with the spiritual eye. Brethren, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. People know that things are different. The new normal is new normal for today. Tomorrow is a different day. And then there's going to be a different normal. Who knows what that holds except for God? I'm hanging with God. What about you? I'm trusting in God. What about you? I'm thankful you're here tonight. I'm thankful you're here this weekend. And I pray you'll listen to the great words that are going to be spoken. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the blessing the blessing of gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ. The blessing, dear Heavenly Father, of having your word proclaimed. Father, the power of Jeremiah and his proclaiming the truth to this generation, to this people, to this time, to us. And the great Apostle Paul speaking about life, no matter how tough it gets, how he's going to trust God and not himself. And he will be so deeply thankful that the prayers of the saints who would come alongside and serve him by praying for him are so deeply important to the fulfillment of his ministry and how the collective whole of the church can work together to bring about the conclusion of this era and the fulfillment of the last soul to be one for the kingdom of Christ.
We pray, Father, now as we would sing some more and listen to our brother Davis come up and share. Uh, Father, get excited to understand what the great call of trusting you is. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand up.